trained them, man. They were better with me than they were with you. Like, we're not going to make that mistake twice. Hey, uh, good to be here and spend a little bit of time with you. Uh, miss some of you. We were, we were gone last weekend. Uh, some of you miss longer than that, but it's good to see all of you. I know it's a good week when the back rows are almost full, and so uh, there's still room up here. You'll be fine. Uh, in that, I w- want to just welcome you, let you know about uh, some things we have going on here as a church before uh, we dive into God's Word together. Uh, and so the, the first thing, kind of first priority, we, we try to, uh, as, as often as we can, make sure that we're doing things intentionally to remind ourselves that uh, we don't exist in Darlington, Wisconsin alone, right? And, and I think uh, we have this tendency to get so kind of wrapped up in our lives that uh, it's, it's almost like passively we sort of forget that God is at work in all of the world, and he's, he's doing big things all around, and, and so uh, we can kind of get so sucked into our own lives that we're, we're functionally not being aware of that. And so one of the ways that, that I think we intention to do well in making sure that that's not the case uh, is we partner with other people who are at work proclaiming the good news of Jesus in other parts of the world, other contexts, other places. Uh, and so what we want to do periodically is just let you uh, know who they are, let you meet them, talk to them, spend some time with them, uh, so that you can rejoice also in knowing that God is at work in all these different contexts, all these different places at the same time. And so uh, we have kind of a cool privilege this morning. Uh, I'm going to introduce you and bring up uh, someone that we're partnering with for the advancement of the gospel who uh, has formerly spent some time here at FBC. And so, Vanessa, why don't you come on up and uh, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about who you are and what you're doing uh, in the context of your life, or at least what you're going to be doing in the context of your life. So this is Vanessa Miguel. Good morning. Sorry, I gave him him your name. I don't know. Uh, Vanessa spent some time at FBC circa like 2017, 2018, somewhere in there. Uh, Came, hung out here for a few months before you moved. Tell us about your life from like then till now. What, What have you been up to? Yeah, you bet. Um, It's good to be back, and I see some familiar faces, which is always fun. So when I left um, and went to actually Des Moines, where I took a job as an operating room nurse on an open heart team, I really felt like God was calling me to hone my skills in that way. I already knew that I wanted to do missions, and that was kind of like the next bridging step to that. And so I ended up working there for almost two years, and then God called me to work with Mercy Ships. And I don't know if some of you have heard about Mercy Ships, but it's essentially a floating hospital that goes to different parts of West Africa and we do surgery and in the name of Jesus. So it's a twofold to be able to not only bring healing to people's physical bodies, but also to their spirits um, for them to know truth. And then from there, um, took some time off again with COVID and everything, did some traveling nursing in Atlanta, Georgia. And from there, God opened the door for me to go and serve again in West Africa in a place called Mali, which is kind of right in the central sub-Sahara part of West Africa. And I worked at a Christian mission hospital there. And from there, I felt like God was calling me to go and commit a couple of years to really advancing the gospel through surgery. It's pretty cool. So, so practical skill set, 
capable uh, of nursing, doing some things some of, some of you, myself included, couldn't do, like see blood uh, and not pass out. And so uh, taking that skill set, right, applying that into uh, the mission field and saying, hey, where could I go serve Christ with this? Kind of bounced around a few places uh, and then got connected into Mali, West Africa, with the intention to head back there. Uh, tell us a little bit about Mali. Like, what, what makes that such an appealing place for you to go? Yeah, Mali is part of that 1040 window, if anybody has taken perspectives or kind of know in the unreached population of the world. Um, it's 99% Muslim and less than 1% Christian who have actually heard the name of Jesus, right? Um, I just, that last phrase in that song, tell the world um, of the treasure, right, of Jesus calling. And just to know that I've been given a gift and to go to a part of the world uh, that is considered the sixth poorest country in the world the average daily income is at like a dollar twenty, um, and a, and just to imagine, right? Of one in five children die before the age of five, and it's hard for me to think I have six nieces and nephews who are beautiful, who are thriving, and to already think that one of them wouldn't exist in the world, um, and that I can do something in the name of Jesus for it, and then also proclaim the gospel at the same time was super powerful. Um, yeah, just to know that God was leading me in that direction to be the answer, I'm sure, to prayers of many mothers in Mali who um, are seeing their children suffer. That's awesome. And so, so your plan is to head over there, right? Um, join up with existing doctor, existing hospital, existing infrastructure, uh, and plug in and run full speed. Um, what do you need? Um, dollar twenty a day, right? That's, <laughs> all right? I feel like we can make that happen potentially, right? Yeah, I love it. Um, so obviously, like for me, this is not my vision, right? This is a vision that God has for every nation to know the love of Jesus. And for me, it's knowing that I can't do this alone. I need people to come in and partner with me. And there's many ways that that can happen, right? Um, for me, financially is, is something that I need, um, monthly as well as a one-time expense. And um, if you guys have questions about that afterwards, just come see me. I know I'll be in the back. But um, another big portion is truly prayer. People who are going to dedicate to warring on my behalf. Um, Satan doesn't want people to know the love of Jesus. And he don't, they don't want them to know there's freedom, right, in, that, in a world of bondage where 99% of people don't know who created them and whose image they are made in. Um, so yeah, ways financially, prayer, and also if people feel like, oh my word, I would love to come ever and visit Molly someday. Not saying that you want to, but if God is leading you there, yeah, I'd love to have a conversation of what missions looks like and means to you as well. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, we, we always talk about here, uh, we don't support missionaries, right? We partner with missionaries, and so that includes prayer. It includes knowing who they are. Uh, obviously, Vanessa's kind of a cool situation for that because uh, we, we know her from time spent here. Uh, her mom, Connie, is like a staple at Clarity Clinic, another missionary we partner with. Love Connie. She's pretty awesome. Uh, and, and in that, have an opportunity to spend time praying for you, partnering with you, uh, hearing the work that the Lord is doing. Um, off script a little bit. We didn't have a script. Uh, but... In this, uh, when, when we met a few months ago and we're talking about it, you just kind of taken a short-term uh, trip over there to say, like, am I willing to go do this with my life? Uh, 
had some really awesome stories. Would you share one of those? Like, tell, tell us about what God's doing over there. Yeah, so the, the amazing thing is that the hospital I work at is a Christian mission hospital, already founded since 2006, very much known in the community as known as, like, Christians, right? And in that, there's always this moment where Muslims have heard a lot about Christians, but they've never actually put a face or an action to that. And so a lot of times they're coming to this hospital in desperation. Um, their family member is dying, they've tried traditional medicine, and their children um, are not getting better. And they come here, and we don't just shove Jesus in their face. We open them and we welcome them like Jesus did when he healed people. Um, he didn't touch on their problems. You know, spiritually first, he touched physically. And so in that, we're able to do surgery. We're able to um, really meet a need. And then through that, God opens the door for us to share the gospel. And just one, one story of many is we had a, a little young boy, and he was born with a cleft palate and cleft lip, um, something in the United States that would get fixed right away. There would not be an issue. But his parents believed he was cursed because he had a cleft palate and cleft lip. And so they took him home, and they said, we don't want you to do surgery on him. We don't want... Um, this child is essentially worthless. And they took him home and the witch doctor give him a solution that they usually try to kill the spirit and usually it kills obviously the baby in the process. But by God's grace, um, the Lord just placed his hand upon him and he lived through that whole situation. And because of that, they said that God, from who they had met at the hospital said, God must have wanted us to bring him back so that his lip can be fixed. And through that, um, the family, because they thought he was cursed, had named him Wicked Man. That was his actual name in Bambra, which is the local um, African language. And so when he came back and my team leader, who's a pediatric surgeon, did surgery, um, they renamed him. And they renamed him Human. And in that language, right, it means to be made whole, to be brought in, to be part of community again. And I just went, Lord, that's what you do for us, right? And through that, we were able to share the gospel with their family and really praying and believing that God is going to make that seed grow and they will come to the knowledge of him. Um, I could sit here all day and tell you stories, but that's just one no, of the can't. power. They yeah. won't stay. Yeah. So, no, I'm just teasing. They might for you. They will. If I sat here all day until they just leave, you know. But so, yeah. praise, praise the Lord. Uh, amazing things. You can hear more stories. Uh, here's, here's what you're going to do. After the gathering, Vanessa's going to hang on the back. Uh, you can come, kind of ask, ask any other questions you might have. Uh, you have to sign up to give her money and join her financial team for each story that she tells. That's the, the deal, right? You want a story? Sign up your name. You get on the prayer support. Maybe you get like half a story, financial support, full story. I don't know if it would work. Some, she'll probably just tell you all the cool things anyways. Praise the Lord for that. Um, but... Uh, I, do, I do feel like that's something we want to just heartily encourage and endorse you to partner uh, as you, you feel the Spirit moving uh, to do that, that that's, that's conviction. Uh, be a part of that. Equip that. Uh, we, we were talking somewhere, somewhere around 80% of your initial expenses. Uh, and so, so kind of pushing towards the finish line with that, uh, probably about 50% or almost 50% of ongoing expenses and so uh, kind of kind of right on track with that and hopeful Lord willing that you're you're heading out like end of this year right November December sometime sometime in that neighborhood and so uh, continue to be in prayer for her we're gonna close up in just a second in prayer before we dismiss our kids and then uh, in doing so after the gathering I just remind you and encourage you again 
uh, jump on her team, whether that's prayer support, financial support, both uh, great opportunity to be a part of what the Lord is doing uh, almost halfway around the world, right? Like eight, nine time zones away. And so uh, praise God for that. I pray for you. Yeah, be great. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Vanessa and uh, to, to align her, her heart and her spirit, her passion to bring forth the good news of your son with uh, the way that you have skilled and gifted and uniquely fit her together uh, in her ability to do uh, medicine and, and to bring those two things to accomplish your will, uh, both, both here as she's worked throughout the U.S. and also abroad as she gets ready to go for uh, to Africa for the, maybe, maybe the remainder of her life. And so uh, we, we pray that you would uh, condition and be working on hearts for those in Africa, in Mali, who uh, will prepare to interact with her and see her in the upcoming years, and that uh, you would give her the words to speak and the ways to care that would honor and glorify your name and the gospel. Protect her and encourage her. Uh, continue to, to raise her up as someone who trusts fully and wholly in you and all things. And uh, we pray that as a church, we're able to be uh, encouraging and supportive and a part of that as uh, we walk forward from far away, uh, but connected well in spirit and in mind and attitude and a desire to watch the gospel go forth. We pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank Thanks, you, Nick. Vanessa. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it. Yeah, you can give her a hand. All right, I'm going to let, if you're a kindergarten through fifth grade student, you can head with Katie now to children's worship. Uh, the rest of us, you can grab a Bible. Uh, we're going we're gonna to eventually land in 2 Peter, um, but I got a couple things to get to before then. Um, so one, let me start with this. Uh, we try to... We try to, every once in a while, give you just like a really brief financial update, what we're, what we're doing, where we're at as a church. Uh, you know, let me caveat it with this. If you're a guest here with us, you're new, uh, we don't do that so that you'll give more money. It's not our purpose. We're not, uh, in fact, we, we very rarely are, are kind of like pressing you to give money uh, in, in explicit verbal terms. Uh, if we do, it's like today where you're not giving it to us anyways. You're giving it to a partnership that we feel like is really endorsed uh, and worthy of that. Uh, part of the reason is because we know that's kind of a sensitive thing in our culture, and so we don't want to offend somebody uh, and kind of detract from what we really exist to, which is to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Now, if you're a believer and you trust the Lord, uh, I think that that represents itself in the way that you would generously give your money to causes that advance the gospel. And so we kind of entrust uh, that to you and just uh, believe that that's going to happen. If anything, we probably don't talk about it quite enough because, praise the Lord for you, uh, you respond very well and very generously. And so uh, we do like to kind of make sure you know where we're at with things. Um, we set out this year with a really ambitious budget um, as we have for the last few years. Uh, we, just, we just keep kind of like turning the dial and saying, 
okay, like let's, let's dream about what we would do if we had this much money and the Lord would give it to us so that we could go forth proclaiming the gospel in this area and, and making good partnerships where people are proclaiming the gospel all around. Uh, and again, this year, as you have over the past years, uh, have really responded well in generosity. Uh, and so we're exceeding that budget. And so uh, as we stand right now, we're probably uh, in giving we're somewhere around $5,500 above what we budgeted to give, which was a pretty ambitious amount. So you're out giving us by five, dollars $6,000, which is awesome. Uh, not only that, uh, we're less than upholding our end of the bargain. Uh, we've underspent what we said we were going to spend so far by uh, about $13,000. So all in all, we're like $20,000 in surplus right now. You have my pledge uh, that we'll do better in the second half of year spending money. I can do that. I'm going to ask my wife for help if I need it. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to finish that thought. You can fill it in. Uh, but uh, you continue to give generously. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, we're not just going to spend it, right? Like the, the goal is that we would continue to be deploying money, stewarding money, using it as a tool for the good news of the gospel. Maybe some of that needs to go to Vanessa if there's such a surplus and she needs it, right? Like we're, just, we're kind of putting those pieces together, connecting the dots and some of those things and going, hey, where, where does the Lord want us to use this so we can continue to worship and continue to watch his name go forth and glorify who he is? And so that's your really nuts and bolts update. You want more than that, you can always ask me afterwards. Uh, we try to kind of make that available nothing's hidden here in that uh, we just don't want to waste too much time on it we want to really kind of keep the focus on the main thing uh, use that to sort of prop up endorse and add fuel to that focus amen that said we're starting a new series today so let's let's begin in a word of prayer uh, and just I got some kind of homework to get us into the series uh, and then we just make kind of one major point for the day uh, and then we'll, we'll go eat lunch and, and call it a day Lord Thank you. We're so, so grateful for you. I pray that we would be people that would exist with a singular focus, a singular purpose in our life to, to make your name look great. That we exist for your glory, for your joy, for our joy in you and the goodness of who you are. And so we pray that as we think about your word, as we rely on, depend on, trust ourselves to the truth of the scriptures, uh, we do so knowing that uh, what a gracious gift you have given us that we might know you and know you through the clarity of your word. And so uh, let us be firmly grounded and rooted in it for the sake of your great name. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, um, we... We kind of have a pretty uh, simplistic philosophy here when it comes to the way that we do church, if you will. Uh, generally speaking, we're looking to accomplish uh, only a couple things in an average weekend. Uh, we we want to sing songs as a way of worshiping our Lord. We want to pray to Him as a way of worshiping our Lord. We want to study the scriptures together as a way of worshiping our Lord. Uh, and so we, we just kind of ground our basis in those things and say, first and foremost, uh, we, we want to sort of 
throw out as much of the pragmatics, as much as the practical stuff as we can, try to kind of get away from uh, a lot of like how-tos or um, bogged down in some different detail-oriented things and replace them with what does it look like to really find ourselves studying, examining, knowing, worshiping, following the God of the universe. That's what we come together for as his bride for that purpose. In fact, uh, I think consistently throughout the scriptures, you see that the priority is always going to go back to that regardless of what circumstances you might come in and exist in at that given time. Uh, the, the account that I think of is in Mark chapter 2. So you know a little bit about the Gospels. Mark chapter 2, Jesus has begun his ministry. Uh, it's, it's sort of beginning to build steam. And, and so he's hanging out and he's inside of a house teaching. And as he is, the people are sort of uh, excited to hear what he's going to say. And so they begin to crowd into the house. And, and the Bible tells us that there's so many people that the house is full and like kind of around the house is full and the entrance to the house is blocked. And there's four people who show up and they've got a friend who is paralyzed. And so they're bringing this friend who is paralyzed to see Jesus because what has happened and what they hear is that Jesus can heal people. And so they pick him up and they want to bring him, but the, the crowd is too great. And, and I'm sure that there's probably some degree of like trying to kind of push their way through and navigate in, but it doesn't work. And they really just realize we're not going to get there if we don't do something extreme. And so uh, the Bible tells us that what these four friends do is they drag their friend up onto a rooftop and there on the roof of the house where Jesus is teaching, they start to tear open the roof, right? They're just property damage as a way to get to him, like the insurance company not happy about it, right? But they're just tearing this down, and then they take some ropes, and they lower their friend down through the roof right before Jesus, right? Which is also like pretty good navigational skills on the top. Like, let's figure out where in the, I don't know, seems cool. Anyways, it's not important. Uh, they get him down there. He's right in front of Jesus. And does anybody remember what Jesus says when this guy who can't walk, who's got four faithful friends who have gone to such great measures, they've climbed up on a roof, lowered him down, what they say to him? Right? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Which is incredible, right? But it's also, Avery liked it. Avery, I'm so glad you're back, man. I love you. It's good to see you, man. Incredible, but not what he came for, right? Not what his friends came for. Not what their purpose was. In fact, uh, there's some people that are angry about the whole thing because they go, why does he have the authority to forgive sins? In fact, his rebuttal is just so that you know that the bigger problem is that I can forgive sin and sin is a bigger problem than you being paralyzed, but so that you will believe, watch this, get up and walk, take your pallet and the man does so, and he heals the man, uh, and attributes all of this to the faith of the friends. But what I was so struck by in thinking about that this week is, is even Jesus, consistently in his interactions, is going to come back to the deepest need of man being the realization of who God 
is first and foremost. And so it's, it's part of the reason we exist as a church, always kind of going back to what we're teaching is rooted in the scriptures. And we're, we're just going to try to teach you the word of God and begin there. And from there, uh, let the implications flow in whatever direction they might. And the reality is for a room of a hundred and something people, it's going to be a lot of different implications. And so what we don't do, what we really hesitate to ever do, is spend most of our time giving you like application-based sermons going, hey, here's seven ways to be a better spouse or ten things you can do to be a better parent and kind of begin with those applications because ultimately we feel like the best thing for us to do is to begin with the one thing that is ultimately trustworthy and that's who God is. Right? And, so, and so our deepest need is not something pragmatic to make us feel better. Our deepest need is to know the Lord and know Him. And what we're going to begin over the next few weeks in, the, in this series is to recognize that the best way to know Him is what we titled the series, According to the Scriptures. That, that one of the glorious things that God has done in His humanity is He has gifted us with His revelation of Himself through the scriptures. Now, the reason for a series like this is because, like I said, typically what we're doing is week after week, we're just going, open your Bibles too, and then we're reading some scripture and explaining it, reading it, and explaining it. Uh, and it occurs to me, and this is like, I'm not trying to guilt trip you here, and so don't, please don't hear it that way, but it occurs to me that most of you don't read the scriptures. Right? Or, or if you do, uh, in fact, like to prove to you, it really, really is not a guilt thing. If you do, most of us do not read the scriptures enough. Don't read them enough. Don't read them as much as we'd even want to. Amen? Okay? So you don't have to say, I don't read them at all. Uh, I know that some of you, but you could say, I don't read them as much as I should or as much as I want to, right? And so the idea is not that we would kind of press you into, oh, I better do this because it's the right thing to do only. That is true. However, uh, my hope is and my prayer is over the next few weeks that as we speak about the Word of God according to His Scripture, that it would compel you and cause and well up in you a desire to know the Word of God, a desire to obey the Word of God, a desire to, and this is, this is a word we'll kind of finish on in a couple of weeks, but to delight in the Word of God. Uh, if you, you know the Psalms well, Psalm 119, the longest psalm in all of the Scripture, uh, just continues to talk about how you would delight in the Word of God, that ultimately it is a guide, a lamp to our feet and our path, and that it is worthy of us finding as treasurable. But in all of that, I think, I think there's one big hurdle today, and, and this all I want to do. I just want to kind of clear this hurdle today so that we can kind of tee that up and talk about that in the weeks to come. Here's, here's the question. Why do you trust the Bible? Right, Like all of that, knowing the Bible, following the Bible, obeying the Bible, delighting in the Bible, it's all contingent upon whether or not I believe this to be true. Amen? Right? Whether or not I trust this. In fact, uh, our church doctrine, our church constitution begins with a doctrinal statement and at the very beginning of the statement of faith, the very first item that we, we're going to note that this is what we believe, this is what we hinge ourselves about, this is what we think is most important is this, that we believe that the Bible is the word of God 
fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts. It's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that it has the supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. In other words, we believe this to be true, and if you disagree with this, we think this is right. If I disagree with this, we think this is right. Now, that doesn't mean we don't interpret it differently. However, here's, here's the hurdle or the question that trusting the Bible means that first and foremost, we would recognize that not only is the Bible true, but it's the standard of truth, that we begin with this. Now, here's, here's why this is such a struggle today. Um, it is massively difficult to know what is true in our culture, in our society. Amen? I, I mean, it used to be before I was born, okay, some of you know this, right? used to be you had like three news channels, Right? You had ABC, NBC, CBS, whatever that is, you know? Uh, and, and you had a guy, like Cronkite, right? Uh, and that was it. And he'd tell you the news, and you'd listen to that, and it was done. How many, how many sources for news can you find in our culture today? 675, right? How many of them tell you anything that's true? Zero, okay? So, in fact, you believe, typically, that 674 of them are lying to you, but the one that you are reading is true, reading, watching, whatever, uh, is true. That one's lying also. None of them are telling you the truth, amen? And if they are, how do you know? Right? Be because in the wealth of information there is, right? Like, we used, to, we used to say things and you just wonder. Now you just like Google search it or like, hey, Siri, tell me about. Don't, this is going to freak out if I say that. But, right, but like all of a sudden you just pull it up, right? But then whose mercy are you at? Like whatever search engine it pulls up is ultimately whether or not you can actually believe what's happening. And in any specific event, 38 different accounts come out and they're all disagreeing with one another. Yesterday. So yesterday I'm... Uh, working in our yard, trying to like put together a little treehouse thing for our kids. I go walking through the yard, and a snake like comes out. From, I don't even know where it was. It's like right under my feet when I saw it, which I'm not a big fan of snakes to begin with. Almost burned my house down once trying to kill one. Different story for a different time. But I had a board in my hand, and so I, you know, and then I think better of it because my kids are all in the yard, and so I, I like take the board and I stop him where he's at. And I call the kids, and the girls get there first, and I'm like, hey, you want this snake? Apparently, they don't have the same aversion to snakes because they're like, yeah, let me grab it. You know, like, like this is going to bite you. They didn't. Uh, and so they, they put in a bucket, and, and then they spend the next, like, 20 minutes trying to find stuff to, like, feed the snake. And they're like, Dad, what kind of snake is it? And I'm like, I think it's a gardener snake. Like, you just whatever. So they're grabbing leaves, and they're sticking. They found, like, worms, and are sticking worms in there and stuff. And then Josiah arrives on the scene, and he goes, he goes, oh, you found a snake. Now, my son has watched more wildcrats than any of you combined. I almost guarantee it. Uh, knows a lot about animals. Some of you don't even know what wildcrats is. It's not important. Uh, just tells, teach you about animals. He looks, takes one look at the snake and goes, actually, that is not a gardener snake. That is a tree snake. They don't eat worms, but they would eat ants. You should find some ants and put that in there for that snake, and he will eat them. 
I mean, he's six, right? You trust him? Uh, more than I trust me about that particular snake. So I tell the girls, go get some ants, right? Never even occurs to me to think, like, is he telling the truth? I don't know. I'm sure he believes he is. Is he? I don't know, right? Like, we were in Yellowstone a few, a few months ago, and we saw a coyote, and he was sure that that was a bat-eared fox, argued with me for like a solid hour. I know what a coyote looks like. Bat-eared fox only lives in Africa. Not even on this continent, but he was convinced that what it was. I mean, so how do you know? Here's my point, right? Like, you and I, like, you ought to know that you're so small, right? That, that we exist in this tiny portion of a massive world. We're a tiny part of a massive population, and you exist in a tiny fraction of a long history of humanity. And the best things that you can be confident and know in this world, if they are worldly things, just over and over again, the longer you live, erode away and fail you. Do they not? The, the things that you are certain of outside of this have this tendency of breaking down over time. Because we ought not find our trust in anything other than this. So somewhere, here's my point, somewhere there is truth and a standard of truth that ought to exceed what you can know from outside sources. But this is, this is where it really gets important. There's also truth and standard of truth that you can know with more certainty than your own mind and your own feelings about a particular issue. That God, in His grace and in His mercy, has revealed to us in the Scripture something that is certain, something that is stable, something that you can stand upon, even when the circumstances around you cause you to feel a certain way or cause you to think a certain way. The consistency and the reminder in the Scriptures is you come back to something that is certain, something that the Lord has given us in His grace so that you might know. In fact, 2,000 years later, that's certainly a problem we face in our culture. It, it was a problem even then. So this is where we land in Second Peter. Peter is writing the middle of the first century, some 30 or 40 years into Christianity, and here's the issue he's dealing with. A whole bunch of false teachers have entered into the church and they're beginning to proclaim things based on what they observe and what they feel and it's beginning to distract Christians and they're unsure what they should actually believe. And here's Peter's encouragement to them. Don't, don't take my word for it. Believe the scriptures. Here's how he's going to write it. Go with me. First, or 2 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 16. This is this is his recognition of it. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Weren't following fables, but when we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right? His reminder is, as he's writing the scriptures, hey, we're trustworthy, we were there, we saw it, we were eyewitnesses, and then he's going to reference uh, one of the most incredible interactions in all of human history, the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. He says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. 
this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That I heard the voice of God. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Then he says this. So we have the prophetic word, that's the Old Testament, made more sure, that's the New Testament, to which we do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises. That's Jesus' return in your hearts. But know this first of all. Now listen to how he's going to give his argument or his recognition to what you do when you're trying to figure out what is actually true or when false teachers were there to lead them astray. That no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit moved, spoke from God. Here's, here's Peter's point. His rebuttal um, against these false teachers who are greedy and exploiting the church at that time is, listen, we're not just writing the things we feel here. The Scripture is a recording of what God is doing inspired by the Holy Spirit. So moving so that it happens. And the second part of his rebuttal, this is, this is the second thing and, and kind of a reason that you might trust this, right? It's not just this self claim, but he says that this was the prophecy that is revealed or confirmed. So in other words, one of the reasons you can trust the scripture is because what it said happened, right? Over and over again. This is, you can be confident in the words of God being inspired and for you because prophetically they're confirmed over and over again and because those who write inspired by the Holy Spirit are trustworthy right they're, they're eyewitnesses who saw it who were there who could be trusted and then not only that uh, we're, we don't have time today but you can again you can grab me afterwards you want to talk more about it be happy to in fact I would I love to like nerd give you information and so you want to talk to me about like the process of church history and how the canon of scripture comes together I would take more time than you want and and be happy to tell you all about it here's here's what I would tell you briefly today about the scriptures right from the get-go it's it's known that those who are writing the New Testament are people who are trustworthy eyewitnesses or coming from the eyewitnesses and apostolic like the early leaders of the church who are recording this as Peter says not from their interpretation right but moved by the Holy Spirit to tell you what they saw now not only that the reason you can trust this is because ultimately what they saw was the confirming of all the things the Old Testament was writing about that they were going to see, right? If you read the gospel accounts over and over and over again, you're going to watch as Jesus does things that the authors of the gospels are writing and notating he did this just like the scripture said he would, right? That it's a constant confirmation of what the Bible was telling us was going to happen, that it was consistently true, that you trust it not just because it says, trust me, but you trust it because it's right again and again and again. In fact, 2,000 years after the New Testament's written, it's the most scrutinized document in all of human history, and it holds up to the scrutiny. Why? Because it is true and the standard of truth. And so you can trust the scriptures. Now, the last thing, uh, as he 
talks about this that I think is, is worthwhile is that we recognize that not only do you begin according to the scriptures, but that you know if you and I know the Lord, that what the promise of Jesus was, was that a helper would come, that the Holy Spirit would come. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And what does it do? Well, among other things, it helps you know and interpret the Scriptures correctly. Here's, here's the thing. Not only are the Scriptures here for us to know God, to trust God, but ultimately that they are living and active so that they can pierce and penetrate into your life. Listen to this. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. The author of Hebrews writes it this way. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, God so works through his scripture that it is that, the tool that he uses to take and through the power of the Holy Spirit, pierce into your heart to convict to guide, to lead you all according to his will, right? Like, so that, uh, and that, that doesn't happen unless you know him, right? So we'll go on in the weeks to come to talk about the authority of the scripture in your life that is something that is to be known by you, it's something to be obeyed by you, it's something to be delighted in by you. Uh, but let me just finish with this because that's kind of all like framework and baseline, uh, and I think it ought to lead us to this question to close with. Why does that matter? Right? Like, why, why is this so important? Why, why do we place such a premium or such an emphasis on this? Why does Scripture affirm of itself such an emphasis and premium on it? Well, here's the other thing about the context of Second Peter. It's written mid-60s, 64, 65 A.D., uh, shortly after the authorship of this letter, Peter's going to die. In fact, uh, Peter doesn't get the courtesy of dying asleep in his bed at a ripe old age. Peter is crucified upside down by an evil Roman emperor who has set fire to the city of Rome and looked for a scapegoat, blamed Christians, found the leader of the Christians there in Jerusalem and arrested him to have him crucified. Peter says he's not worthy of dying in the same manner as his Lord and so they flip him upside down on a cross and nail him to it. And, and here's the thing, this is, this is where Peter, in writing this letter, takes his comfort. Therefore, this is verse 12, right before this passage. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, he's talking about his body there, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that laying aside my earthly dwelling is imminent. That's a fancy way of saying I'm about to die. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Here's what Peter was saying. The purpose of this is so that no matter what the circumstances, whether I'm here or not, 
that you would be a people who could rest on the authority of Scripture to call these things to mind. What things is he talking about? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you would call to mind what life is about. That you and I, though we are broken, though we are separated from God, exist under a love so great, a love so strong that God sent His Son, Jesus, to live without sin, unlike us, and to die in His innocence on a cross for you, so that through faith in Him, you would be saved. You'd be reconciled to God and could know Him. And so the Bible is consistently about knowing and trusting the Lord. Why? Because it's the only thing in all of your life that has any value or has any purpose at all. Pray with me. Lord, I pray we are a people that would learn be reminded of, grow in our treasuring of your word, of the truth of who you are. That like Peter, we would recognize that in it are the words of life. Think about that same Peter walking with you, Jesus, on the earth. You saying, hey, do you want to leave too? And him saying, we have nowhere else to go you you lord have the words of life life eternal that we would be a people who treasure your word knowing in it that it brings life eternal let us depend on it let us trust it let us lay a foundation we treasure that today help us i pray that your spirit would guide us in truth i pray it in the name of jesus why don't you stand? Let's sing one more song together.